This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. The, our tribe is of the oldest tribes in the world and, and uh, we're meant to do certain things, but the, the, when we don't do them, so then the Gentile world usually comes after us. And, and that's been going on throughout history. And it, it has to do with our our keeping our our side of the bargain, you know, like like we're we're in a covenant, and it's a covenant that's more of a hardball covenant than Aboriginal tribes. First of all, Aboriginal tribes are older than we are, but they're from the jungles, you know, like they're they've been they've got their traditions dating back, you know. Most tribal leaders I've met have their traditions dating back like. Most tribal leaders I've met have their time dated back like 5,000 years. And whereas our traditions only 3,331 years, at least from Sinai. Abraham was born in 1948 after Adam. And so uh, Sinai was 2448, which is now we're only in 5780. So it's only like... Meaning, when we actually got the instruction book, we've it's it's been half of history since Adam. Like it's like Adam, Torah at Sinai, where we're at now, and we're close to the six thousand mark. You want to bring a chair from next door? Keep the door open for now. So, anyway, um, and we're we're this tribe, and we're a tribe of prophecy. Like we have prophecy, and prophecy is not a normal thing to have. I mean. What tribe ever claimed prophecy? Nobody. Never. No history in the world. No, no tribe in the history of the world that claimed prophecy. You know, it's like all those African tribes and all the Native American tribes and all the Southern Native American tribes and all those tribes in South, jungles of Southeast Asia and all the tribes of, of uh, you know, throughout the rest of the Aboriginal lands like Aust- Australia and stuff. And they all recognize us as a tribe. They all see us as a tribe, and they see religion as religion, and the Jews are, are part of the tribal community. And the reason they consider us tribal and not part of the aboriginals is because they know, they know if they've had contact with us, so the commonality is such that they start to realize, oh my gosh, this is, a, this is a tribe. Now, how would they realize we're a tribe? The reason they realize we're a tribe is because the, the medicine chiefs of those tribes that are, are, that are very familiar with the with altered states of consciousness that take the, the person on that trance on these meditations in these aboriginal countries that use their plant medicines and stuff. So it makes them privy to certain things like, like truths and big volumes of like, not that they necessarily write them, but they're not big writers, we're big writers, but they, they don't necessarily write them down. But when they meet people from our tradition, they discover. Can you just bring two chairs from? Uh, just bring two chairs. Hello. Can you bring two chairs for your wife and yourself? Just right there, right behind you. You can wait for him. He's a big guy. Okay. He'll take care of you. So, hey, we got newlyweds. Hey, what happened? Just go in there and get two chairs. Oh, someone's bringing them. I can hear those chairs. Those chairs make so much noise. They're coming from a distance. So, um, 
Anyway, when you meet those tribal people, they realize soon that the Jews are tribal people. We're part of a tribe. And, and we're a tri- tribe of prophecy. And what happens is Jews can't help but, but feel like they're part of a religion. Jews often forget their tribal connections. Because we look like a religion. You know, we got, we got Moses and, you know, and like we had a temple. And now what's really interesting is that the, the temple, you know, in the, in the temple times, you know, there was an altar with sacrifices and there was, there was precious stones on the breastplate of the coin, the high priest and there was incense burning and, and there was crazy spiritual music that was like moving everybody deeply and well guess what they do in tribes all of that that's what goes on in tribes so that's also in common and also all the metaphysics they don't have the details they don't find details but they're very into metaphysics the tribes at least they're the elders the elders of a tribe will be very into metaphysics and stuff so they consider us a tribe if my phone wasn't recording right now, I would be able to read you a WhatsApp. Because every time I speak on behalf of our tribe amongst tribal uh, leaders, in, uh, you know, and when they're having conventions, usually in honor of the rainforest, the, the Amazon forest, um, or it's just a general tribes of the world, and I'm speaking on behalf of our tribe, um, they always send me a message saying, no religions will be here. Because they're, they're scared that I wouldn't be interested in speaking if if it's a religious panel. Now, the truth is, I don't mind being in a religious panel. I, I'm happy to be at a religious panel, even though we're not a religion. I don't mind speaking on a panel of other religions. But, the, uh, but they want to, like, I should rest assured that, you know, that there's no religion involved here. This is pure tribal rights. And uh, recently I sent, to a, I sent a little WhatsApp to a tribal leader. I took a photo of my my Talmud um, that was talking about how to see the, the thousands of spirits on your left and the tens of thousands of spirits on your right that are all around you, that if you saw them, you'd just go into cardiac arrest. And, but there's a way to see them. You have to, like, you have to, it's a whole concoction, and I forget what you have to get. You have to get, like, oh, man, I feel bad I forgot, but it, whatever, it's a whole giant concoction. And I, anyway, so I took a photo of that piece of Talmud and sent it to the, to one of these tribal leaders. And he said, he sent back a message saying that that is pure shamanism. That's pure shamanism. That that uh, that piece of Talmud there. So, so I'm somehow going to weave all these questions together. So the thing is, is we're different in that we're different than those tribes because because those tribes. And the people in general in the world are God's girlfriend. And the Jewish people are God's wife. And what's the difference between a girlfriend and a wife? And this is all dating before 19, the late 1960s, meaning before birth control. What was the difference between a, a girlfriend and a wife? So, uh, so we have newlyweds here. How long are you two married? How long are you married? Five months. Oh, five months. Okay. That's a long time already. Yeah, you guys have been through the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting married in our community, you know, to someone your parents presented you with, five months is like, 
Yeah, you're like you're like long distance truck drivers at this point. You know. <laughs> getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I have I have kids five months right now. My my daughter's at five months with with her spouse. No black and blues. So but it's fun for my wife and I to watch them, you know, because they're just so less callous than, you know, they're, they're so fresh. You know, they, they, you, you don't even touch these two. It's wet paint. Yeah. So anyway, how old are you? 20. You're both 20? Oh, that's nice. Okay. You have a, a langueyol. You both got married at 19? What? Right, 18's the right age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My first daughter had a kid at 18. Already. Yeah. She got engaged at 17. So, anyway, what are we talking about? No, no, what was I just talking about? Not, not. What? She's thinking about husbands and girlfriends and wives and <laughs> that's what we're talking about so the gentiles including all those tribes those are god's girlfriend i'd say the tribes are already engaged the regular gentiles are god's girlfriend but the jewish people are god's wife and what's the difference well they're very different they're very different because because you know and again this is pre-birth control but a girlfriend a girlfriend is is someone that Someone that is, you know, basically very, very, you don't get too much, you're not, she's not going to expose too much of herself until you put a ring on her finger. I mean, she has to be an idiot to give too much up before she's got an insurance policy for her heart. Like, who would do that? You know, like the most precious thing you have is your heart. You don't give that up before you know he's not going anywhere. And men go places. You know, they move around. And they got to take the plunge if they want you. You know, they got to put that ring there. And then, yeah. So there's, but there's also an engagement ring, which we could say the tribes wear the engagement ring. But what happened at Sinai, when we had that full THX, surround sound, Omnimax, 3D, LSD, blow away experience at Mount Sinai. That's that's the marriage. Like that's the where you got to see it all. You, you see it all. You get it all. And we got to see it all. Stuff that the five thousand year old tribes couldn't dream of seeing. In fact, our tradition has it that even like the lowliest person with the lowliest IQ in this in spiritually dense, like spiritually dense, like not spiritual saw a higher vision during that time of the splitting of the sea and obviously Sinai even more than Ezekiel, Yechezkel, Ben Buzi, that Ezekiel the prophet who, get, who brought us, you know, the first chapter of the Merkava, the, the chariot, which is like of the most sublime Kabbalistic things that you can study or meditate on or even manipulate matter with. And the, the lowliest person of Israel saw higher than Ezekiel the prophet at the splitting of the sea, all the more so at Sinai. 
where God really ripped the veils away. Now, what are the stakes for a girlfriend cheating? What are the stakes for a fiancé cheating? What are the stakes for a wife cheating? We're the wife, obviously. The reason we're the wife and God's the husband is because, because in all mystical traditions of the planet, the masculine, not male, masculine, which is not male. And this, we live in, you're living in the most confused environment where everything's gotten blurred. Because I'm, I have a very strong feminine side, but I'm male, and and my wife's got a strong masculine side, which works works well for us. But she's a female in in her actual anatomy. I'm a male, but I'm highly feminine in my development of my nature. My settings are very female. I couldn't run the programs I run if I couldn't just literally go full empathy and cry my eyes out with my participants of my programs and stuff. I need to have the heart of a woman to be able to do the work I do. I know how to play man too. I mean, look at me now. Listen to that voice, you know. <laughs> I'm also a father, you know, which means I got to play man, you know, full time over there. And, uh, you know, unless they're crying. And I can lighten up a bit. But, the, but we play it all. Now, God is... So anyway, in, in mystical traditions, masculine means causer and feminine means receiver. So God's the causer of creation. He's causing this place. We are not. We are receiving. And that's why Judaism has all these specific commandments for males to kind of tie them down so that they can get their feminine side going. So they can have a relationship with the causer. He's the causer. We're the receiver. Sometimes we call God in the female when we want to give God. Now, how do you give God? He's got everything. How do you give God? By giving thanks. That's why we're called the Jews. Yehudim, from the word Yehuda, from the word Toda. So when we give thanks, then we say, we call God Lach. In the blessing after a meal or in Shemone Esrei, in the silent meditation, we say, Modim Anachnu Lach. We call him a female, so to speak, because we're giving thanks. And we're asking him to receive that thing. This is all mysticism, but it's also the physical world. I mean, <laughs> don't focus too much on these tripods, but everything's male and female in that. And also my vest, and also in the windows are male, and the frame of the window's female. Like, you can't look at anything that's not male and female. These were woven together in machines that had things going up and down and up and down and mail shooting through it as it kept going up and down and to ultimately weave the weave the design on the wall here there's no there's nothing you will ever see that won't be male and female will not be causer and receiver causer and receiver what's my cup it's receiver and the water inside is it's the cause causer it's flowing it'll flow anywhere unless you put it in a vessel Vessels, the, the feminine. So everything in the entire creation is made, is made of this. Standing room only right now. Everything is made of this. Now, anti-Semitism only hits Jews. Now, I bet you God's fiancés, the tribal people, I bet you they have a lot of tit for tat. When things go sour over there, dark stuff comes over them. I bet you they get nailed by stuff. 
I don't know what nails them exactly, but I bet you the tribes of the world get, not like we get, but definitely something. Probably through nature, who knows, like a drought or a flood or a fire, who knows what they get. God's talking to them through nature. But the problem with Jews is he used to talk to us through nature, and then he had to stop. He had to stop. Because when we lived in the land of Israel, we got it like the tribes. He would speak to us through nature. And he also, meaning whether it be rain or not, you know, droughts, that was all God talking to us. Do you know that we have specific prayers just for droughts? Because, and, and those for droughts, for no water. And those prayers, what are they about? They're about us and our behavior as Jews. Our, nation, our national ultimate behavior, and it's a deep inquiry into our hearts about you know, why is there not rain? What are, we, what, what are we up to that there's no rain? It's extremely introspective, our prayers about rain. We're not just saying, give us rain. It's not just a rain dance. This is like, why have we caused our rain to go away? But we had the added element that whenever we really blew it, he would send, God would send, the nations after us. And I'll never forget the first time I was reading in the book of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, where, where God calls Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who caused our first holocaust. Everyone thinks this last holocaust was our worst holocaust. We've had three just like it, or two others just like it. We've had three major holocausts. We had the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Um, that was just, hor- I mean, really uh, as horrific. And, we had, um, and then we had the Romans, which was also as horrific as Nebuchadnezzar's. And then, and then last, the last round was, was with the Nazis. That was our, our last round, and hopefully the last round. Amen. Now, that doesn't take away the class I'm giving, because, because a genocidal attempt is only when the Jews are coming into the land. Only when we're coming to the land. We're already here now, so hopefully we're done with genocidal attempts. So we had we left Egypt, and there was a genocidal attempt by the nation of Amalek in the desert. We left Babylon. We the year we were leaving Babylon in the Perm story. We have a genocidal attempt by um, you know Haman, who's direct descendant of the king of Agag. He's called Haman Haagagi, who's Agag, the king of Amalek. And then lastly, after 2,000 years of exile, where the tribe of Amalek went into a sleeper cell mode, right before the state of Israel, they rise again. Amalek rises again to get us through, this time via the Nazis. So hopefully we're through with that. But that has nothing to do with with the, the mechanism by which God exacts his jealousy. That's where he, he exacts his jealousy. And, and I'm using the word exacts very carefully and the word jealousy, very important. Very important word. One of the more beautiful words of the Torah. But exacts in that, in that, in, in that well, first of all, I forgot to tell you. In Jeremiah, he called Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar Avdi. It made me want to throw up. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who, he was basically Hitler of the time. Avdi, my servant, says God. He calls him my servant. And I, I just wanted to throw up. I went to the rabbi in the base midrash. I'm like, what is this? And he says, that's the mechanism. And when the Jews aren't... 
keeping their side of the marriage. So God sends servants. And you know what the Talmud says on that piece? Amazing piece of Talmud. The Talmud says, so why should Nebuchadnezzar be punished? Because he was badly punished for what he did to us. Why should he so badly be so badly punished if he's God's servant? You know what the Talmud says? You didn't have to go that far. You can exile the Jews without doing full Holocaust moves. You didn't have to go that far, and he didn't have to enjoy it. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar got so badly punished. Because in the end, he had free will, meaning he was God's agent with free will. And you all know what that means, because we've all been agents in people's lives, yet we sensed our free will while we were being agents. And then there's the jealousy, because that's what we're discussing right now, the mechanism of jealousy. Even a, a girlfriend who's not faithful, there's jealousy involved. And what is jealousy about? Jealousy is one of the most beautiful things in the world. Jealousy is like, I hope my wife's jealous if I'm too busy. I hope she's jealous. I hope she loves me that much that it's hard for her to share her husband. I don't know. There's something wrong with people. And, and someone who I always considered smart, and I still do, is Oprah Winfrey. Now, I understand why she did this, but she publicly renounced her relationship to Christianity. Like, on international television, because the Torah, which she thinks is Christian, for all she knows. I mean, what does she know about the five books of Moses? Because it, it says in the Torah that I'm a jealous God. And she was like, what kind of petty, you know, what kind of petty line is that? And then she renounces her, she renounces her relationship to Christianity based on that line. The most beautiful line in the whole Torah. You know, like, I hope my wife's jealous if I get too busy. You know, I hope, I hope she, she's like just desperately like saying, you know, come home. In fact, I was speaking to her on my headset when I came in here today. And she, we were just discussing whether... I should be hitting the hot springs with a bunch of bearded men this evening, or it's home. And she, she did a whole, she went through the whole week of my schedule just to discuss, like, and the truth is I should have lost the hot spring option, but I won. Because, not that I won, I, I want what's right, but, but in the end it worked out because of the, um, uh, there's, it's none of your guys' business, but there's, there's two bar mitzvahs, and then and there's two bar mitzvahs of dear friends of hers that I don't know the husbands of. So I'm not, I don't need to go say Mazel Tov and have Kugel on my in my beard. Now, now the, but let's go back to, but just to say about the jealousy is, is that we're married to God, and that comes with a jealous God. And just one more thing about the word exacts. He exacts vengeance. How can God exact vengeance against a community of Jews when the Jews were put in exile? If we're spread out, we're, we're in Turkey, we're in Germany, we're in France, we're in Italy, we're in, we're in America, we're in Canada, we're in Australia, we're in South Africa. Like, how can God... How does God exact vengeance against his wife, meaning the Jewish people, who, and then we have to talk about what it means to go against him. 
But how can God exact vengeance against them? And the answer is he has to use kind of a surgical, tactical thing that just ident- go, called Gentiles, who ident- anti-Semitic Gentiles who identify Jews. That's God's tactical exacting of this mechanism called a jealous God. And that nobody wants to harm the Jews. He's just waking them up. Wake up. Wake up, Jews. We're married. And we got we got a serious job to do on this earth. You know, it's amazing our this ball doesn't just right, fall right through space. Like our earth should just fall out of orbit from the weight of its problems. You know that Doobie Brothers song? <laughs> I've heard it said about the weight of the world's problems is enough to make the ball fall right through space. It goes like this. Heard it said about the weight of the world's problems is enough to make the ball fall right through space. It ain't even worth it to live with all that's going on. Some may think they're born to be king. It's about politics. Maybe that's true. That's the end of the politics. Well, I think passing love along is all we were born to do. Let them build their kingdoms. Let them make their laws for this world to heed. Oh, you and I make life worth living right here in each other's arms. I'm here to love you. No more loneliness. No more emptiness. I'm here to love you. And then some killer sax solo. Let them build their kingdoms. Let them make their laws for this world to heed. Oh, you and I make life worth living. Right here in each other's arms, I'm here to love you. <laughs> it's a great tune. Oh, you just got to hear the piano throughout. It's Michael McDonald on keyboards. It's as good as that. You ladies know that song, right? We grew up with it. <laughs> By the way, you ladies, you, you do YouTube a little bit? <laughs> anyway, YouTube uh, Doobie Brothers live at UCSB, and you just won't believe it. You just won't believe it. Probably, perhaps the best live concert on ever filmed anywhere. And this is in the seventies. I don't know how they did it, but they did it with the, with the sound of the actual soundboards coming through the video. It's amazing. You just put it on at a party on a big screen and just have it cranking on the stereo throughout the party. SD card is full. It's great. The, the outro of the song fades to this. Just let me go. 
on loving you. Don't stop me now while I'm feeling this way. Just let me go on loving. Just let me go on. Don't stop me now while I'm feeling this way. <laughs> Obviously, like five part harmonies. Okay, that's enough of that. It's funny how different I feel singing in front of you with no guitar and no music, no accompaniment. And like my whole body's kind of buzzing with embarrassment. It's so weird how like social anxiety is so built in. Like you'd think I rid myself of it, but by now, you know, because I've like, I've had to die like a thousand deaths of, you know, of putting myself in front of people when I'm just way over my head and. You know, that just knocks you out. And, uh, meaning, meaning you put yourself in the line of fire enough times, you know, you, you think you win. But uh, I'm feeling so self-conscious for having sung for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Should I do it more often? Yeah. <laughs> Zach <Zach's over. laughs> Anyway, um, so where were we at? Why am I singing that? Oh, <laughs> The weight of the world's problems, they're on our shoulders, the Jewish people. And so it'd be like one thing if we were like just unfaithful. But it's another thing to like surgically reinstall your foreskin. You know, you, you like you can't, you can't like totally turn your back on this world. Now, of course, most of the people were, if you're secular watching this, you, you didn't even, you thought you're part of a religion. You never thought, you know, I, I mean, you, you have to really not think to think that we're not here to solve the world's problems because you'll notice that secular Jews can't stop solving the world's problems. We make, 20, we make up 20% of the Nobel Prizes won. Do you realize what that means? That means if you extract Jews out of each country, out of you know, former Soviet Union, and out of Europe, and out of America, you extract them and give them their own country, you know, that means theirs end like, you know, there. And ours goes to the floor. Ours just, just keeps going and going and going and going and going. Now, you understand, we're built for that. But they think it's like, you know, probably secular Jews, if they thought for a moment, they'd realize we're here for the world's solutions, but to solve the world's problems. But they would not think of, that it had anything to do with Judaism. They'd probably just think we're like genetically. I'm sure it's like a, some kind of evolutionary thing. You know? We're genetically built to get Nobel Prizes, you know. Or they'd probably think it's they probably think it's because of IQ, you know, you know. But that's that's stupid because there are a lot of people with high IQs are not saving the world. You know, IQ and saving the world are two very different categories. You may be better at saving the world with a high IQ, but it doesn't mean you save the world. In fact, some of the worst things that ever happened are the hands of smart people. And since I'm bringing that up for a moment, I'd just like everyone to know that the smarter a person is the more red flag it is for you to, to be careful of them. Smart people are the most dangerous people in the world. And Judaism's always known that much greater than, than, why, than wisdom is good character. When you verify the character of a person who happens to be very smart, now you can open your ears. Till you verify the character of someone who's very smart, now you have to be very, care- you have to be very careful until you verify the character of the person. But I've, I've, I've met so many misguided people, and they tell me about 
you know, I met, you know, when you live in Jerusalem, you get to meet a lot of misguided people. And it could be we're overguided here, so we, it stands out more when you meet people that they're just so misguided. And the, but again, if you live here full time, you're always receiving people. You meet a lot of misguided people. And they, but those misguided people love to talk about their guides. Everyone loves talking about their guides. I mean, give me, give me, if you just mention my Rebbe at the beginning of a class, the class will have ended and I'm still talking about him. So we love talking about our guides. Anyway, these people are telling me about their guides. Half the time I know who they are. The other half, while I'm talking to them, they think I'm just texting someone. I'm actually Googling him and seeing all the like crazy insanity, you know, that comes out of this particular man or woman. And, um, and, but they always say the following. They always say, he's brilliant or she's brilliant. And they think that's like somehow like convincing me about the greatness of the person. That's not, that's showing me how dangerous that person is. The very worst things that have ever happened to humanity is through the hands of very smart people. And some, some much greater things happened. You know, maybe, maybe in more, certainly in more quantity, maybe not in quality, but much greater things have happened by simple people. So the, the kids who are raised secular in uh, America or other countries, or, the, or they're raised modern Orthodox in those countries, they are, um, they are under the influence. They're heavily under the influence. And I'm not just talking about cannabis here. You know, they're they're majorly under the influence of of a a millennial clean sweep of of you know truths that are at the very foundation of reality and and we're 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 living in a generation that just wants to wash the world clean of all distinction. But wisdom comes from distinction. You can't just say everything's, we're all the same and everything's the same. And, you know, I just read this morning uh, that uh, this lady Warren, the Indian lady who's running for Democratic, you know, the uh, noble woman from the Indian tribe. So she, she's, I, I'm kidding, those of you who know that she tried to, she went, got into college saying she was Indian. <laughs> Turns out she's not Indian, but the uh, anyway. But that woman Warren promised to have half women in her cabinet, and she even used the word non-binary. But I mean, what does binary mean? Binary means that binary means it just simply means that this is not that. I mean, they may have overlap, but this ain't that. And that ain't this, and. You don't want anyone in charge of anything if they're over here all the time. That's a dangerous place to be. I mean, you imagine you go into an eye surgeon first, you know, you, it's the time for the eye surgery, and the, the surgeon's not there that day. There was an emergency in his family, and, and so they brought in another surgeon. And you're like, okay, but like, 
are you, you know, he's at the pre-surgery meeting with the doctor, you know, and, and you're like, but are you cataracts? Like, is cataracts your thing? Because I hired a cataract surgeon. And the guy's just like, eye doctors are eye doctors, man. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, this person's coming with the anesthesia and you're just like jumping out of the bed. Eye doctors are not eye doctors. There's cornea, there's cataracts, there, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of distinctions in eyes. I don't even know. Anyone know how many different kinds of eye surgeons there are, there are that never, ever cross those boundaries? You know, I mean, can you imagine bringing your car in because the steering wheels feels loose in your hands? And uh, the guy who comes out from the garage looks like me. And, and you're like, you're the mechanic? He's like, well, I'm filling in for somebody. <laughs> because most people look like, not all of them, I have friends who know their cars, but most of them don't really only look like me, they are like me in that it's just called engine. You're in the middle. It's called engine. You know, I don't know what's the spark plug, the cylinder, the catalytic converter, the starter, the, I, I'm going to run out of names really quickly because I don't know any of these things. It, it's just called car. You know, it's called engine, but I don't know the distinctions. I don't know all the breakup of it all. When someone's, when someone's offering a, you know, a non-binary cabinet, you know, that's when you make Aliyah. You know, you just get out. Why? I'll explain very simply why every Jew should come to Israel. Now, not necessarily, what are all the Jews going to say to what I'm saying? But maybe Trump will win. And yet, yeah, but you're living in a population that, you know, by the way, uh, Clinton, Hillary Clinton won the majority, pub, you know, what is it called? Popularity, Popularity vote. vote. She just didn't win the uh, electoral college. But if you're living in a country that, that non-binary people who want to, like, not make distinctions and all hierarchies are bad, and even though they, there's no such thing as anywhere you can point your finger at that wasn't a hierarchy, you know, like everything's hierarchy. And I promise you all those non-hierarchy, non-binary people who can't figure out already if they're male or female, I promise you if they need heart surgery, they'd like the best doctor who went to the best schools and was the most brilliant, and meaning the highest IQ. And, you know, I'm sure they'd be very excited if it was a female surgeon, but it probably won't be. It probably won't be, which is, which is, you know, just like something to be, something we got to think about there. And why it is, and by the way, you ever wondered why females are generally not the surgeon? You know why that is? So it's, we discussed it earlier, believe it or not. But, and by the way, this isn't the only reason, but it's probably the majority of the reason, is that we have two, another two things that are binaries, the experiential versus the conceptual. And, uh, and women are more likely to be experiential than conceptual about things. This is why, um, this is why um, surgeons don't operate on their own family. It's because they, they can't just turn this patient into a, a concept. And therefore they're so involved with this thing that they're, they're, 
you, you want your surgeon to be very conceptual about you. They, you just want them following the book. They're now getting robots to do surgeries. And that's likely even better. You know, as long as the humans, they're Robotic keeping an eye on it. What? Robotic surgery because you don't want involvement. I imagine you're having, imagine you're having gone from a major surgery and the surgeon's just like the sweetest, best, because they all, they all have terrible bedside manner. But imagine he's just like, how are you? You know, sits down, kicks his feet up, and he's like, let's schmooze. You know, you're like, I'll take another surgeon, please. You know, like, I want the one that's not totally involved with me. You know, I want the one that just sees the body parts and stays conceptual about it. I mean, what do you think a paramedic comes in? Can you imagine being an experiential paramedic? You know, coming into a bunch of bleeding people. Oh, my gosh! You know, like, whoa! You know, you don't want that. You know, you want them to be conceptualizing it and conceptualizing the situation, get it all conceptualized, compartmentalized, triaged, and then straight out of the books of their training. You understand? No experiential moments going on there, you know, preferably. And this is why soldiers get so messed up in warfare is that, you know, like, how long can you spend? You know, one thing's an emergency situation. Okay, I can go conceptual, but not when I'm living there and it's every day and you never can, you know, you can't put your head down. You got to keep your head up and you always got to have eyes in the back of your head as well. And, and this is going on for months, if not years. And, and you know, you, it's, go, it's going to get in there because how long can you go conceptual? You know, especially in such an extreme environment as war. And that's where PTSD comes from, because you can't stay in surgery mode all the time. Yeah. How is this um, expressed in the difference between war and war? Experience. Oh, is that um, I'd spoken earlier about my feminine side. Like I'm much more likely to like if you had pain that that you were sharing with a group, and I was leading that, or even in the room, mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be crying right with you the whole time. You're not some concept of like some crying bahara. You understand? I'm like hanging off your every word. I'm totally, I'm there. You know, I'm I'm the one going through it while I listen. It's fully experiential. Right, right, and 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 it's not that she can't go conceptual, but I wouldn't want to be married to her. You know, I mean, it's like women have to like wave like checkered flags of like finish line when men come home at night, you know, like pop out of it, Mr. Big Guy CEO boss character, you know, time to deal with some kids now and and be a husband, you know, like we're, we're real, you know, we're not some character, you know, character in your office, you know, that, that you're running your character, you know, you're running your whole self image against. You know, like that, that's not home life, you know, that's not home life, but many men are like, can barely breathe, you know, their first stop when they get home is the bathroom, and they, you know, and then they'll come sit at the table, you know, as long as they can take it, you know, unless they're, unless they've broken through it, you know, you can break through this stuff, I, I work with people, that's my work, is to 
break people into the experiential before life just totally passes us by. Yeah. Right, Shlomo? Um, everyone, uh, we could talk about so much more, and I realize I'm all over the place, but I always am. Um, I bless everyone to be well and, and, and be wise. And, and the wisest thing is to be connected to Torah and to be connected to the elders of our tradition, of our tribes, and, and align ourselves with that. And whatever it takes to do that. I mean, today with the Internet, I don't think anyone has an excuse. You could be in Timbuktu and tune into some of the greatest things. And for those who've been tuning into these things, thank you for joining. And please click on all the things you should be clicking on and follow, subscribe, share, all that stuff. And, and, uh, and if you want to help us get it out more and better edits, and not that Joseph isn't doing a great job, he's doing amazing, but um, just get the team going. It's uh, yomtobmediaclub.com. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.